Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovich, financial advisor and retirement income certified professional with RBC Wealth Management. Join us as we share the tools and insight that can help you take control of your money and your life. Because we believe life's greatest returns are realized when you invest beyond your money. And welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Mike Dukovich. I'm a financial advisor, a retirement income certified professional, a certified plan fiduciary advisor, and a first vice president with RBC Wealth Management. For those of you who've tuned in before, welcome back. And for anyone that's listening for the first time, this podcast is designed to help you take control. And, and we do that by not only discussing financial topics that are timely and relevant and hopefully applicable to your own wealth plan, but we also dive in sometimes to things that are beyond your money. On today's Beyond Your Money episode, which is season two's second episode, I've brought friend of the show, Patrice Sakura back to talk about college savings plans. Patrice, as always, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Mike. And paying for college, oh, isn't that the nightmare of many parents? Yep. Young or old, this is one of those things that uh, we talk about all the time with our clients, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a child that was just born or a grandchild that's just born, or, you know, ultimately, we all kind of want our kids to be educated beyond high school. And unfortunately, it costs a lot. That's one of the big issues, right? These costs are exorbitant and they keep going higher. So when we talk with clients, whether it's the parent or the grandparent, or even sometimes the student, what we try to emphasize first and foremost is start now, save early, save often, really as much as you possibly can. And ultimately, you just hope that it's enough. It's going to be very difficult to pay for every every bill that uh, surrounds a college education or a secondary education, but every every cent helps. And you know, as you say, the cost keeps going up. So with depending on the age of your children now, you really don't know what you could be facing. Well, you're absolutely right. And that's ultimately one of the questions that I always get when we start this college education conversation, you know, how much should I save? For what it's worth, the answer is who knows, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the economic environment is going to look like. You don't know what school they're going to go to, right? You don't know True. if they're going to go to school. So, so you're asking me to answer a question that you just can't be answered. But for what it's worth, I have some numbers here we're going to talk about. For the 2022-2023 school year, the average annual cost for college is $27,940 for a four-year public college. That's for an in-state student. Now, is that tuition you, or is that room and board? Too. Well, that's going to be all inclusive, right? So that figure includes tuition, fees, uh, room and board, books, uh, transportation costs, and also some personal expenses. Okay. So you know it's kind of all inclusive in that number. For what it's worth, if you're an out-of-state student, it's almost double. It's yeah. $45,240 for a four-year public college. And if you go to a private college, good luck. It's $57,570. And I would argue some of the other private schools that are out there, some of my clients and their kids or grandkids are going, I mean, we're touching six figures for some sure. of these costs. It's crazy. I have a lot of personal issues with the whole college costs and, and you know what's going on in the world for what it's worth. I would not be surprised. And this is me. This is not RBC. This is not you know uh, the college board or anything out there. I would not be surprised that the whole college education system looks completely different in the next couple of years, you know, decade or so. I just think that with these costs where they are and the fact that they're going up year after year after year, 
uncapped, you know, especially considering some of these institutions have endowments that are in the billions and billions of dollars. I would not be surprised if this whole environment looks differently at some point soon. You know, whether not that only mean... that, like not only the money going up, but the number of kids applying is going down. That it population is. is shrinking. You're exactly right. I, you know, I think a lot of students are recognizing that why do I need to go to a four-year education or get a four-year education in some major that it might not be pertinent to a, to a real job in the real world and pay $100,000, $200,000 to get that education and, and come out bootstrapped trying to pay for it on the back end. It's, uh, it's not necessarily a, a good investment for a lot of kids. And I think kids are wising up and they're starting to recognize it. That's why I think the whole environment is going to look different. I, I think that there's going to be at some point a huge switch, uh, starting to emphasize more of the trade school, more of the two-year mm -hmm. education, more of the community college type of secondary education. I think a lot of those things have been underemphasized over the last couple of decades for various reasons. And I think you're going to start to see a switch in that in our country, which for what it's worth, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of kids are getting a lot of benefit from going to some of these institutions that aren't necessarily your typical private four-year college where you, know, you come out with a degree in whatever. For what it's worth, this report suggests that annual increases year over year are in the five to 6% range. I would say they're higher than that, to be honest with you, but they're going up. It's one of the, we're talking about inflation day to day, you know, the college cost inflation is out of control. And so for what it's worth to be able to pinpoint an exact number for what it will cost for your kid to go to college is almost impossible. What we try to do instead is we try to talk about saving. And, and I've talked about this in a past show where, you know, a young parent, a young professional, just trying to figure out how much to put into their own retirement, how much to put into, you know, their emergency bucket, how much to pay for college for their kid. You know, there, there is kind of a sequence of saving that I've talked about. Ultimately, when it comes down to the college component of that, this money has to be discretionary money after you've paid for a couple of things. Okay. So the first thing I'll emphasize with all of this, with college planning in general, is as a parent or a grandparent, you cannot jeopardize your retirement savings in order to pay for your kid's college education. You can't. It just does not make mathematical sense. And okay? yet, and how many parents do? A lot do. You know, and I get it. It's an honorable thing. You want to provide for your kids. You want to do what's best. You want to you want to pay for college in the most most cases, right? But if you jeopardize your own retirement, you're really putting yourself in a hole. And, and think about it logically, right? Your kid has their entire life ahead of them. You don't know if Johnny's going to go to school. You don't know if Johnny's going to go to the service. You don't know if Johnny's going to create the next billion dollar company, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know if they're going to get a scholarship. You don't know if they're going to want to go in-state, out-of-state, JUCO, two-year education. You just don't know. There's so many things ahead of them. Plus, on the way out, you don't know if Johnny's going to be a brain surgeon and make a billion dollars a year. You don't know if he's going to cure cancer. You don't know if he's going to be... Uh, you just don't know what kind of career he's going to have on the back end. He could very likely be able to pay for his own education. So there's a lot of unknown with regards to the kid. With your situation, there's less. You know what your career is for the most part. You know how much money you're making, You know how much you're going to make uh, for the most part. And you pretty much know when your retirement age is. So your situation is a lot more known and you have to make sure that you're putting enough money into your own retirement plan before you start worrying about Johnny. I always tell people as far as sequence of savings, and again, we, we did a show on this, you can go back and listen to it for more detail, but 
put money into your emergency bucket for the rainy day. Then you want to capture your full employer match in your qualified plan. So if you need to put in 3% to get their 3%, so to speak, that's free money. You want to go and get it. So that's the bucket you want to fill up. After that, you can start looking at some other things, whether that's a non-qualified plan, so you have some liquidity, or whether that's adding more and getting to the point where you're maxing out your 401k plan. And then college planning starts to come into the conversation, right? So it's after those other buckets have been filled out that college saving really becomes uh, part of the conversation. That's a long way down the planning uh, path there. It is. And if you have enough money, if you have enough discretionary income, great. Let's talk about it. Okay. And and that's ultimately what this show is going to be about. So we've talked about kind of how much it's going to cost. There's, let's, you know, it's just say it's a lot. (laughs) Let's just make that the number. (laughs) How are you going to pay for it? There's a couple of different ways, right? And, And so- Many parents are, you know, saving less than, you know, a hundred percent of their child's education, you know, and I always ask, I always ask a parent this before we start really getting deep into the college education um, discussion, uh, what are your goals to pay for college? And this is actually a pretty nuanced topic. I, I tiptoe around this a little bit and it, it was somewhat surprising when I first got into the business, I kind of assumed that everyone would say oh, all of it. There are a lot of people out there that don't necessarily share that same desire to pay for 100% of their kid's education, Hmm. right? Some people do. Don't get me wrong. Some people don't. Some people perhaps bootstrap their way through education or, you know, didn't go to college or had to take out loans themselves or pay for it while they were in school and found some benefit to that. They found some benefit in having to work and to pay for their own education. And I respect that and I get it. And so when we have this conversation or we're engaging with a client about it, that's really the first thing I need to find out. What are your goals? Do you want to try and pay for all of it? Do you want to try to pay for some of it? Do you not want to pay for any of it? You'd be surprised actually. Sometimes, you know, when I'm dealing with a husband and a wife, you know, their own goals are different from one another's, right? And that's an interesting situation where dad wants to pay for all of it and mom wants to pay for none of it, right? And so we kind of work through that together, but- Various ways you can pay for it. That's what we're going to talk about today. So some of the ways that most people will pay for college education, either with current income, right? You just pay the bill as it comes in. A lot of students will apply and parents will apply for federal or state or or even- The good old FAFSA form. Yep. Private financial aid, the FAFSA form, which is a form you basically just for what it's worth. It's a form you, you know, download, you have to fill out. It's actually less rigorous as far as the work and effort that used to you know, go into it. It's not as terrifying as it used to be, but it's something you have to fill out every year, uh, whether you've gotten aid in the past or not. And ultimately it goes to the education, to the, to the financial aid office at the school, and they basically figure out how much financial aid you're eligible for. So that's something I always tell people you want to do. Uh, there's a lot of loans uh, and grants and scholarships and opportunities to get money from various places. That's actually something I love to do when a, when a grandparent or a a parent is talking about college education, there's a book out there. It looks and resembles like a phone book, which no one has anymore, but (laughs) it's a big, thick book. And it talks about some of the scholarships and grants and, and some of the money that is just sitting out there waiting for people to apply for. I mean, you can get scholarships for just about anything, where you live, uh, what your parents do, you know, if you're left-handed, right? There are scholarships. I mean, there's, there's money out there ready to be deployed. You just have to, you know, have the wherewithal to know about it and the motivation to go and get it. So those things are out there. You can pay for it with investments, which we're going to focus on today, whether it's a 529 plan or a custodial account or things of that nature, you know, perhaps the child, the student, 
you know, has a part-time job or a work study job while they're at school, you know, that helps. I've seen people take out loans, you know, whether it's a home equity loan or private loans to do it, gifts from grandparents mm-hmm. or, or friends of the family. You know, there's a lot of different ways to pay for it. There's no right or wrong way. What we are going to focus on here, just because it's relevant to what I do and to what my clients are talking about, are the various investment ways that you can pay. And this isn't necessarily an all-inclusive list. These are the things that I talk about most often. So uh, for what it's worth, there perhaps could be others. When I'm talking about college planning, uh, as far as the investment side, I usually talk about two or three different things. The first one, 529 plans. That's the elephant in the room. Okay, that's the big one you hear about all the time. There are a lot of different benefits to 529 plans. There are also some issues that some people have with them, and we're going to talk about and address it. We can also, and we will also talk about custodial accounts, whether it's UTMAs or UGMAs. These are these are a couple different custodial accounts. Coverdell accounts, we won't address those too much. They're becoming more and more obsolete. Roth IRAs sometimes used. So, you know, there are a couple different retirement or a couple different investment type of accounts that we're going to focus on. So Patrice, let's dive in. The first one, 529 plans. 529, yep. Yeah. So these were created back in 1996. So it's they've been around for a while. It's probably the primary way that people are saving and, and ultimately paying for colleges. There, there are a lot of different benefits here. What most people don't know, however, there are really two different types of 529 plans. There's more of your traditional 529 plan that seems to be the one that most people know about where you put money in, you invest it, comes out tax-free for qualified educational expenses. We're going to dive into that one in a minute. The lesser known one though are, are what are called 529 prepaid tuition plans. Hmm. Uh, I don't run into these as much, but it's something that comes up every once in a while. Now with these prepaid plans, what they do, it's very similar that you you open up a 529 savings plan, you know, with a provider, but instead of taking your money and investing it, you know, like in a mutual fund or, or something along those lines, what you are effectively doing is you are purchasing tuition credits, or sometimes they're called units, for a school for the future. Is this a uh, specific school? It is. And that's one of the issues that some people have with these. You are basically saying that Johnny, who is however old, two, three, four, five years old, is going to Penn State. We know he's going. That's where we went. He's going. Okay. Oh, and so you have to basically buy Penn State's, in this example, Penn State's credits today with today's dollars, knowing that at some point down the line, they're probably going to be more expensive. Okay. Okay. So if you have that kind of legacy situation and you're very confident that Johnny's going to go to Penn State, then this could be a, a situation you want to look into. Well, Effectively, what if, what if Johnny's a rebel? And he well, says, if Johnny's oh. a rebel and, and then ultimately goes in a different direction. That's the issue with these things. There could be penalties on the back end if you don't necessarily use it to go to that school whose tuition you purchased. There's some flexibility in that you can perhaps change the beneficiary of these and, and let, you know, Susie use it mm-hmm. if she goes to Penn State. But, you know, there there are some quirks in this system. So, you know, with these prepaid tuition plans, you've got to kind of know the future a little bit. And as we know, things change. Oh, yeah. So for the most part, when we're talking about college savings with our clients, we tend to steer them towards the more traditional 529 savings plan, okay? For what it's worth, let's work through some of the nuances here, okay, with a 529 savings plan. And we'll also address some of the issues that people bring up when, when we're talking about it. So with a 529 plan, 
there's some tax benefit. This is considered a tax advantage plan. Okay. And there's really three tax advantages that I talk about. There's upfront tax advantages as far as the contributions. There's ongoing tax deferral for the money that's in there. And there's tax-free distributions on the way out if you're hmm. doing it for what are called qualified education expenses. Okay. So let's take those one by one. On the front end, when you are investing into it, and, and one of the one of the cool things with 529 plans is they're very flexible. Really, anyone can open a 529 savings plan for anyone else. Okay. You don't even have to be in the same family as, as someone. So Typically, what I see is a parent opening it for a child or, or a grandparent opening it for a child. You can open up a 529 plan for yourself. Okay. You can open up for a neighbor. So there's really unlimited participation options there, which is a cool thing. When you put money into the 529 plan. So for the sake of this discussion, let's just assume that I am contributing to a 529 plan for my kids. Okay. Right. If I put money into a 529 plan here in the state of Pennsylvania, I actually get a state tax deduction for that. So if I put a dollar in there, I'm actually getting a state write-off for that contribution. So that's a benefit on the front end, okay, from the state. And, and many other states offer these, these income incentives, these income tax incentives. You would want to definitely make sure that you consult with a tax professional to figure out if your state allows for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but here in the state of Pennsylvania, that's one of the benefits. So that's uh, where we are. And, and so we'll mention that here. That money goes into an account. The beneficiary is the student. So they're basically not involved in the account other than on the back end. They can't call in and, and make distribution decisions, or I, I take that back. They can't call in and make investment decisions, right? You as the contributor, you as the owner are in charge of the account, okay? So you make the investment decisions, okay? While that money is in there, you have some, some decisions to make. And it's purely revolving around how those monies are invested. And, and very typical to like a 401k program that you might have at work, mm -hmm. you have a menu of investments that you get to pick from. There can be some things that are very conservative in there, all the way to the very aggressive. We can also have what are called target date funds in there that basically manage money in a set it and forget it type fashion. And you mm -hmm. know, Patrice, I hate that term, set it and forget <laughs> it for what we do. But with target dates... That's the only time I really say it in, in in the business, set it and forget it. That basically manages a portfolio on behalf of the beneficiary where it's very diversified. It's appropriate for their age. And as they get closer to college or to using this money, it, it dials down. It goes more conservative. Right. Okay. So that's a very interesting investment opportunity. But anyways, this money gets invested and the money grows You know, over time, ideally. The investments do well. And they grow tax deferred. So other, you know, rather than just keeping your money in your savings account and investing it in kind of in a non-qualified account that's taxable, this money grows tax deferred. On the back end, when you go to take money out to use for qualified educational expenses, it's tax free. Okay. So again, this is a triple tax whammy. Tax right yeah. off on the front end in most in, in, in some states, tax deferral along the way and tax free on the back end if you use it for our qualified educational expenses. Okay, Mike, you're saying some states, some states, are these plans dependent on whatever state you are in or you are where you are investing? So that's an interesting question. There, there's some nuance to that. Most five, well, 529 plans in general are sponsored by states. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be living in that state for which plan you are using. Okay, so it, it, here in, in Pennsylvania... 
because it's technically a reciprocal state, you can pretty much use just about anyone you want. Okay. Some of the most uh, some of the most popular that I've seen, you know, will will actually use Virginia, Alaska, right? You know, some of these state plans that have reciprocal privileges and, and little nuances here and there doesn't necessarily mean you have to live in the state for which the 529 plan you're investing in. Let's okay. just put it that way. Okay. And the reciprocity, okay. that's an important thing. Absolutely. And, and that's that's a key point, right? So talk to your advisor, talk to the, the people that are helping you put this together because you want to make sure that you're contributing to a plan that's going to get you the most bang for your buck. Okay. Let's talk about some of the nuances of, of the contributions. So one of the cool things about 529 plans is they actually have really high contribution limits. Most people don't recognize this. Right now, I think it's some, something around $350,000. And those limits can vary by state, but you can put in a lot of money into these things if you wanted to. Now, typically, you don't just see people come and put boatloads of money all in at once, okay? Most of the time, what I see is people putting $1,000 here or there or a couple hundred thousand, you know, a couple 5,000 here or there. I see a lot of people taking advantage of what's called the gift tax exclusion amount, which is basically how much you can gift to anyone any given year without having to record it. You don't record it. They don't record it. So a lot of people hmm. try and stay under that limit. For 2023, that limit is $17,000. That's the gift tax exclusion amount this year. So you know, theoretically, you can put $17,000 into a 529 plan and no one has to even worry about it. I see a lot of people using that level as far as their contribution amounts. Again, that money goes in tax is a tax deductible here in Pennsylvania, grows tax deferred, comes out tax free if you use it for qualified educational expenses. So let, let's talk about that. Qualified educational expenses have actually changed over the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, they changed the rules of 529 plans for the better. And prior to that, you could really only use it for secondary education or college. Okay. Well, now there's a lot more flexibility. Okay. So you can obviously still use it for college, but now you can also use it for K through 12. Okay. So for elementary education wow. to some extent, okay. That's relatively new. That's, that was the big one. Now there's, there's a $10,000, limit per year for K through 12, but you can use it. Now for qualified educational expenses, that's obviously tuition, the various fees, room, board, books, supplies, in some cases, you know, the computers and the equipment that you need now. And these are accredited colleges or graduate schools in the United States or abroad in certain situations. It can also be used in certified apprenticeship programs now, which is unique. It can be used in JUCOs, two-year colleges, two-year schools. It can be used in most cases for trade schools in, in many cases. So there's a lot of places that you can use this money for, which historically might have been a little uh, a smaller of a list. So, so that's a good thing. Okay. Let's talk about one of the issues that somehow always comes up when we talk about 529 plans. And you probably know what it is, Patrice, right? What, what do you know. think the biggest yeah. issue is? Yeah. Uh, what if the kid doesn't go to college? Exactly. That's the number one question that pops up. So here's what happens, right? Let's just say Johnny doesn't go to college. There's a lot of different things that you can do with 529 plans. Okay. The first and easiest thing, if Johnny doesn't go to college, well, that's fine. We can give it to Susie. Okay. So okay. if 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 Susie's going to college, right, you can actually change the beneficiary from Johnny's account to Susie's account. Very easy to do. We do it a lot. Basically just moving money from one bucket to another. There's no penalty. There's no no issues with that. And, and ultimately, that money can still be used for Susie's qualified educational expenses. So that's the easiest thing to do. 
if Johnny, let's just say, gets uh, a scholarship, there there could be an opportunity to take out a matching amount from the five twenty nine plan without without penalty. Okay, so you know there's oh, money. Oh, okay. You can actually take some money out if he gets awarded money for various reasons, whether that's academic or athletic or grants or scholarships, things like that. You could also, well, let's step back. Actually, one of the things that I always bring up this is a this is an interesting story. This is a true life story. So I just mentioned you can change beneficiaries, right? You can take it from yeah. from Johnny to Susie. I actually have had situations where a parent or a grandparent changes it and turns it into their own. I have a couple who are clients right now. They actually have been taking, independent of one another, they take classes at their local community college. She does uh, quilting and he does something like woodwork. And they've been doing this as a hobby for decades. And when Johnny, so to speak, didn't go to college, they had money in the 529. They actually changed the beneficiary to themselves and are using the 529 that they were saving for Johnny to pay for their own hobbies at, at, that, the, uh, at the local community college. Yep, that would be because tuition, right? It's It's the fee for wow. the class. So, you know, there, there's a lot of flexibility in changing things around with regards to that. Let's just talk about kind of worst case scenario though, okay? If you are taking money out of a 529 plan and it is not used for qualified educational expenses and you got to get it out, okay? The worst case scenario is you would owe tax and penalty on the gain, okay? So it's not on the whole amount. A lot of people just don't have that. Uh, don't understand that. It's, you know, if you have $100,000 in a 529 plan, you take it all out. You don't pay tax and penalty on the whole thing. You only pay tax and penalty on the gain if you take it out for something that's not qualified. So, you know, th if that's the worst case scenario, that's not bad, assuming that that account's been open for years and years and you've had a lot of years of tax deferred growth. Okay. Now, one new issue, one new thing that I'll highlight, and we talked about this in a previous podcast, but there's a new role as a result of that Secure 2.0 Act that was passed at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. This new role is relevant to this conversation. So if you have a situation where you have a 529 plan, it doesn't get used. You can actually now, in an eligible situation, you can actually now roll over some of that money into a Roth IRA for the beneficiary. Now, there are certain restrictions, right? And we talked about this in, a, in, in that podcast, but there's a $35,000 lifetime limit as far as what you can move from a 529 plan to the Roth for the beneficiary. You have to do it within the annual contribution limits to that Roth. So 6,500 is the limit right now in 2023. The beneficiary, or in this case, the student has to have earned income of at least that amount that you're rolling over. The 529 has to be open for at least 15 years, which many are if you start them early. And any, we'll call it recent contributions to the 529 plan, you know, any money you put in in the last five years, it's not eligible for this rollover opportunity. But this little add-in to the Secure 2.0 Act is huge with regards to college education. It allows people a new comfort level to know that this money is going to be used for something useful. If they don't use it for school, well, maybe this is going to be the seed that you use to start their their retirement account, their Roth IRA. So that's that's a pretty cool add-on to the Secure 2.0 Act. It's relevant in the college savings world. It, that's a great incentive. Absolutely. So again, you know, I I feel very strongly if you have the money to have the cash flow to invest for college, 529 plans are the way to go. 
for what it's worth, there's no guarantee here. You know, these are investments. So, you know, you are responsible for picking a good investment in there. We, an advisor who's going to help you do this or whoever you're going to open that with will be able to give you some advice or should be able to make sure that you're invested in something so that they perform over time. There's also some flexibility issues with regards to those investments that you want to be aware of. It's not an account that you can trade, right? This isn't something that you can buy today, sell tomorrow, buy today, sell tomorrow, that sort of thing. You're putting a diversified portfolio together, ideally, you're not really going to have to trade a whole lot because there are restrictions to the amount of trades that you can make any given year. I think it's two, twice a calendar year, you can move things around with the existing money. So you so can't you want to be crazy. Can't go crazy, and nor would you want to, right? This is money yep. that you want to have available. So let's switch gears, okay? Let's talk about some of the other things. 529 plans, I think, are you know one of the best things to do when you're trying to invest for college, but there are some other avenues. Let's just touch on some of these just because they are relevant. They do come up. First of all, Coverdell accounts. These are accounts that have been around for a while. The nuance or the benefit to these used to be that you could use them for K through 12 but now with the new 529 rules that allow for that, you know, these are becoming less and less common. So we won't dive too deep into this, but it is an account that's out there. There are some, you know, tighter restrictions as far as the contribution limits. I believe it's $2,000 right now. So it's not a whole lot of money that you can put in there. Ultimately, again, it's not something that we see every day. So, so I'm not going to spend too much time on that. One of the other things a lot of people like to use are custodial accounts. Basically, these are accounts that under that you open up for the benefit of a child or your your beneficiary, but you own them. You're in control of them. You're the custodian. Okay, you make the decisions until that child is age of majority, and that varies by state. Here in Pennsylvania, it's 21. So what that means is you can put money into this account. You can pick the investments. Typically, you as the custodian, you manage those investments and those assets. You can buy and sell, you know, really however you want. There's not a whole lot of restrictions there. The earnings and the interest and the capital gains that are generated from those assets in a custodial account are typically taxed every year to the child, which is a benefit in most cases, because usually the child doesn't have any income. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some kitty tax rules that apply if the child has unearned income, and you definitely want to talk to a tax professional about that just to make sure that you understand it. But for the most part, it's a pretty tax advantaged opportunity there. Now, the beauty about a custodial account, and you might hear the term UTMA, U-T-M-A, that's the Uniform Transfer to Minors Act. Sometimes you hear the UGMA, Uniform Gifts to Minors Act, but you know, pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. The way they work is you can actually take distributions for just about anything. Okay, so this is one of the benefits that some people like about it is you can use this for something that might not be just education. You could use it for a car. You could use it for senior trip. You can use it for birthday party, right? You can use it for things that are other than qualified educational expenses. So some people like that flexibility, okay, which I do. I, I like flexibility. However, and this is one of the issues that I have with this personally, okay, at age of majority, which again, you want to check with the state, in Pennsylvania, it's 21. But in the age of majority, you're off as the parent. You're off as the custodian. It's now Johnny's, okay? Ooh. And if Johnny knows about this account and he turns 21 and he calls me up and says, hey, Mike, send me the $100,000 that my parents have been saving in my custodial account, I have to do that. <laughs> I have to send him the money. He's now in charge of that. He's, it's an individual account in his name. And so as a parent, that gives me goosebumps, 
I you might totally imagine. get that. Totally get it. Right. Everyone hopes that Johnny's going to grow up and be a, a contributing member of society and, and responsible with money and everything else. But it kind of scares me a little bit. There's some unknown between now and then. And if Johnny knows there's a boatload of money waiting for him on the way out and has some nefarious plans for it, or just is, you know, the type of person at that stage of the game that, you know, will blow it, there's an opportunity opportunity to do that. So that's the one big thing that I have to highlight with a parent or with someone that's considering the custodial accounts. At some point, you're out of it. You're out of the picture. Okay. Don't so tell the kid it's there. Don't tell the kid it's there. Well, I've, I've seen that. I've seen that at times, right? Yeah. You know, it, it is what it is. Some students just don't know that money's there and they reach age of majority and technically they have an account that they don't even know about. But, you know, many do. And, and I have seen some horror stories over my career where the student recognizes there's money available and, and takes it out and they blow it, which is unfortunate. A lot of time and effort and uh, stewardship has gone on to creating this account and growing it for that child. And if they don't, they don't use it for the right thing, there's really nothing you can do about it. So when it comes to college savings and, and saving for education, in my opinion, the 529s are a better route. However, if you like the idea of flexibility, you want to be able to use it for a child's education or uh, something other than a child's education, I should say, those, those custodial accounts are an option. I've also seen people use Roth IRAs as an option as far as saving for college. The little nuance there is all contributions to Roth IRAs are always available, tax-free, penalty-free. So you can you can basically save in a tax-free vehicle ultimately down the line and take out money to use for qualified educational expenses without any type of penalty there. So that's a good thing. I've also seen people just use regular taxable accounts where you would put money into a taxable account, invest it however you wish. You can take it out for anything. Really, there's no tax benefit here. A complete and utter flexibility. If you keep that account in your name or in you and your spouse's name, it's yours. And so if Johnny is, again, a, you know, at a certain age, not able to deal with money or incapable of managing it responsibly, it's your account. You don't have to give uh -huh. it to him. You know, right? So I've seen some people use that approach. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. There's a lot of different ways you can put money away for education or help pay for it. Ultimately, though, it really depends on what your goals are. It depends on what your what your goal is with the money, what your concerns are, what you're trying to pay for. And from there, if we know that, we can help you figure out you know what to open and how to contribute. And uh, you know, there's some good things out there that we can talk about. And for what that's worth, you know, the bottom line here, as with anything, when you're making these types of decisions about your finances, it's critical to consult with a professional and one that's qualified to help you because there's so many different components to, to a wealth plan or a college savings plan or really any type of investment strategy. And there are so many different products and investments that are out there that it's simply in your best interest to engage with a financial advisor before you try to do it on your own. So that said, if you or a loved one need some help or guidance with regards to your own personal wealth plan, or if you're simply interested in learning more about me and my team and my practice, just reach out. You can reach out by calling 724-933-4446. You can email me directly at michael.dukovich at rbc.com. And Dukovich is D-U-K-O-V-I-C-H. Or you can visit my website at michaeldukovich.com. And so with that, Patrice, we're going to wrap this one up. We have a lot of cool stuff happening this season. Uh, I, I'll just highlight some of these things. We're going to talk about uh, employer stock options and, and RSUs at some point. We're going to talk about 
Roth conversions, which always uh, becomes a hot topic around tax time. We're going to talk about investing in your employer-sponsored plan and some of the things you want to keep into consideration there. I have shows planned for to talk about insurance, you know, FDIC insurance and the ways your investment accounts are insured. So we have a lot of cool things we're going to talk about this season. I'm really excited about it. And ultimately, I just want to make sure everyone knows that we want to work with people that are educated. We want to work with people that are uh, interested in learning more about finance. And that's why we're doing the show. So again, we, we value people who value the plan and we want to work with people that recognize that life's greatest returns are only realized when you invest beyond your money. So remember it's your money. It's your life. Take control. Thank you for listening to the beyond your money podcast with financial advisor, Mike Dukovich. Make sure you click the subscribe button now so you will be notified when new podcasts are released. If you want to know more about working with Mike, please call 724-933-4446 or visit michaeldukovich.com. It's your money. It's your life. Take control. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. All opinions and estimates constitute the speaker's judgment as of the date of this recording and are subject to change without notice and are provided in good faith but without legal responsibility. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Non-deposit investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate and are subject to investment risks including possible loss of principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investment should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, and SIPC. Participation in a 529 plan does not guarantee the investment return on contributions, if any, will be adequate to cover future tuition and other higher education expenses. State programs vary, and therefore you should carefully review individual program documents before investing or sending money. Federal income tax on the earnings and a 10% penalty on distributions for non-qualified expenses may apply. Visit collegesavings.org for additional information. The facts and figures shared with regards to costs of education were obtained from the 2022 Trends in College Pricing and Student Aid Report done by the College Board.